to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com hey slutty scholars i'm a part of an awesome podcast network called pleasure podcasts we feature some of the top sex and relationship podcasts in the world here's a trailer for one of our other shows shameless sex who i am proud to call my colleagues and friends they're also featured on episode 120 of sluts and scholars check them out I'm Amy, sex and relationship coach, certified sex educator, and 2022's Sexpert of the Year in the sex toy industry. And I'm April, VP of Hot Octopus, sex toy mogul, and 2016's Woman of the Year in the sex toy industry. Allow us to introduce you to Shameless Sex, a real talk, informative podcast all about sex and relationships, but with a playful twist. Want to learn how to eat pussy like a champ? Suck diak like a boss. Eel. How to better communicate, connect with, and touch lovers and partners. Or maybe you just want to be the master baiter of your own sexual pleasure. Shameless Sex releases episodes weekly and features accredited doctors, authors, therapists, and educators. Available on all podcast apps. Just look up Shameless Sex to discover your new best friends when it comes to all things sex and relationships. To learn more, visit shamelesssex.com. Sluts and Scholars podcast features shame-free educational entertainment. While we love to give advice and resources, please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy. Welcome back to a new season of Sluts and Scholars. I hope you all had a nice holiday and that your new year is starting off well, though please don't put too much pressure on yourself because there is a lot of pressure to do amazing things at the top of a new year. And personally, I am finding that I am already tired and trying not to burn myself out. So please take care of yourself. I am excited to dive into some awesome conversations and to share more pleasure resources and fabulous guests with you. If you'd like to support the show, please, please rate and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts, but especially Apple Podcasts. It is the way. For our first episode of 2023, I am welcoming Lila. Lila is an intimacy specialist, writer, actress, public speaker, and curator. She has been a student of human relationships for about as long as she's been a human. She has an awesome podcast called Horizontal with Lila, named by Women's Health among the 25 best sex podcasts about relationships, erotica, kinks, and more, and by Marie Claire as one of the 35 best sex podcasts of all time. She's presented her intimacy frameworks as a TED Idea Search Latin America 2021 finalist, a Business of Fashion Voices conference speaker, and a South by Southwest 2022 presenter. Positively Sex is her new podcast for iHeartRadio. Positively Sex began as a live interactive audio show, a winner of Clubhouse's Creator's First Program. Today, we will chat about intimacy, loneliness, keeping desire alive, and what to do if you get distracted during a blowjob. Enjoy our chat. Um, I am so excited to chat with you today. Uh, for listeners tuning in, um, we probably won't have video today because we decided to do this awesome uh, in-the-field interview, as Lila often does if you look up her and her work. Um, but we're sitting on a grassy knoll with my 35-year-old miniature horse, Sally, who I will definitely post pictures of. Um, honestly, it's probably better than seeing our faces um, while you listen to us. <laughs> this is, we're amazing, but she's more amazing. Um, okay, so I'm so excited to have you here. Uh, and... 
one thing that you talk a lot about is loneliness and what you call the pandemic of loneliness. So I know folks can go and watch some of the videos you've done on that, but I'd love to hear a little bit about how you are kind of defining this pandemic of loneliness. Like, why are we so fucking lonely? Yeah. Why am I so lonely? Why are we so fucking lonely? Why am I so lonely? Yeah. I think that we're in this unprecedented time where we're simultaneously the most connected and the loneliest that we have ever been. So we have unprecedented access to people across the planet and even in remote places in a way that we never did before. We had to have such patience for connections that happened across distance, and now they can happen instantaneously. I can message my best friend in Indonesia, and she can get back to me within moments which means that we can, we can have access to communities that we don't have to live near. We can have connections with people who share our interests that may be unusual or kinky or <laughs> taboo in our culture or in our religion or in our neighborhood or in our town. And that's a beautiful thing. That's a, that is a, maybe the greatest gift of this kind of technology, is the access to connection with all these people across the planet. And also, the fact that so much of our connection has been mitigated by screens means that, I remember reading in a book about conversation, that Children are not developing empathy by the proper age of eight because they're not making eye contact in the way that you need to in order to recognize the micro-expressions and feel into what somebody else is feeling. What I look at when I, look, when I survey the landscape of loneliness and I look, I look at the fact that we are putting this intermediary of technology between you and I, I mean, we have an intermediary right now, but it's in service of speaking to more people and reaching more ears. But a lot of times it is simply to get to the other person without being in their presence. To me, presence is magic. It is irreplaceable. It doesn't mean that I don't want to disparage digital connection because I think it is absolutely necessary in our times. And for all the reasons I stated earlier, is beautiful and has its own merits. But the reason I'm traveling around the world and around the country to record with people in person is because there's something that happens when I sit with you and I feel you vibrationally, energetically, and I can see your eyes unmitigated by a screen or a photograph or an image of you, a representation of you. I see the you of you actually in front of me. There is an alchemy. What, what transpires in that alchemy, I just don't believe happens otherwise. And something else happens. Something else might happen if we were recording remotely. But not this. This is not what would, what would happen. Yeah, basically saying that access doesn't mean connection. <laughs> it certainly does not. And sometimes the access 
makes people feel less connected. And there's a lot of people who don't enjoy the mediums of texting or voice memos or email, you know. So I think we have just all of these opportunities, but that doesn't necessarily, just like having a new fangled <laughs> invention or a quote-unquote better computer doesn't mean that the job you do is better. doesn't mean the art you make is better. might be better with a pen and paper. And you talk about that the, the key to sort of combating this, I guess, this pandemic is intimacy um, and presence. Those are hard things <laughs> to do. Even as you were talking, I was uh, talking about presence. I was noticing all the ways in which I was distracted. I was like looking at the recording light, like, are we recording? You know, what's going on? What's happening over here? Um, anything that's, I know all of our brains are different. And is there anything that you've found that's been helpful for you to practice presence? Because I, I do feel that we can be together. You know, I'm looking at you, you're here with me. Um, but what does it really mean to be present? And yeah, we might not be able to stay in that moment for 100% all the time. What's been helpful for you to try to stay with people? Because just being together is actually really fucking hard, even though it seems like it should be the easiest thing. I also have a highly distractible brain. By the way, is it recording? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. Let me be present with you and check that. Yes. And I do that all the time, every day. <laughs> I also have a highly distractible brain and a very artistic brain, very creative brain. And as you were speaking, I thought, oh, well, yeah, I mean, I rarely stay for long swaths of time. So maybe presence for me is actually coming back. It's just always about coming back, which is of course, a meditative practice. But I saw this wonderful video the other day. And it was like, yeah, you can meditate like this, sitting upright, you can meditate like this, and sticking his tongue out and doing like, breathing exercises, you can meditate like this, rolling around on the floor, you can meditate like this, jumping up and down. So I think it's bringing myself back when it's physical, when it's sexual, especially, it's bringing myself back into the connection between my skin and their skin my body and their body? Where are we making contact? And then from there, what's the what are the sensations that I feel? So coming back to the body really helps me. Yeah, I think same for me, it's, it's coming back to my senses. So being able to like find something in my sensory space, I guess that could be skin, that could be the smells, that could be, um, I don't know, I guess what's, what's around me, that could be what I'm hearing, but like something that is in my body. Um, I think that that's what's been helpful for, for me. And like we're saying, you know, you can't stay there all the time and being gentle with yourself when you notice that you're like, where the fuck did I just go? Uh, and coming back. And I just remembered what it was. So I do this all the time when I'm alone. I will be working on an episode, I'm editing, and then I have an idea for an art project, for an immersive thing, for a text I want to send to my lover. For, I, have, I have all these ideas. And I never want to turn away the muse. I'm so grateful to be gifted with more ideas than I could ever execute in 10 lifetimes. I'm lucky and I'm grateful for that. And so I never want to say, hey, go away. <laughs> in Elizabeth Gilbert's speech, her TED talk, she talks about 
It's Tom Waits, and he's driving, and the you know Melody visits him, and he's like, at some point he goes, he addresses the sky, and he goes, can't you see? I'm driving. If you want to exist, come back another time, or go bother someone else. Go bother Leonard Cohen or someone. And I think that is hilarious, and that is not how I want to respond to my muse. The way that I respond is, I go, oh? And then I go over to wherever it is that I keep these things, my notes on my phone, my journal, a voice memo. I go to a, a, the right receptacle, the right medium for this idea. And then I lovingly place it there and I say, thanks. And then I go back to the thing. And this is how I work. I bounce. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know for a very long time that this is actually how a lot of people function. This is how a lot of creative people work is that they bounce back and forth. I also often have a second project. I learned from a screenwriting teacher, Jacob Kruger, years ago to have only two projects. And this works for me. I can't work on more than two things at a time effectively. So you bounce and, okay, so you bounce and you bounce to your second project. But then when you bounce from your second project, you don't bounce to a third or a fifth or a seventh project. I feel called out. <laughs> you, feel, you feel seen. <laughs> I guide myself to bounce back to the first project. And so I think what really helps me in the presence, even with myself and my task, is that I go, hey, this thing that's taking me away from the presence thing is also a value. And here's a place where I, where I, here's a, a drawer for you, lovely idea, gift that has visited me. So let's say you're in the middle of connecting with somebody. Um, I definitely get my best ideas when I'm doing something, you know, kind of that bilateral stimulation, meaning like uh, just repetitive motion side to side. Um, let's just use the example of sucking dick. <laughs> so I would say some, what if you're going down on your partner and the muse comes to you and you're like, fuck, I don't want to lose this idea, but I don't want to make you feel not special because I need to pause for a moment to write this idea down. What do you do? <laughs> I might actually do that, though. I might actually be like, oh, my God, babe, I am so enjoying this. I just had the most amazing idea. Would it be OK? I am going to redouble my efforts when I come back. Would it be OK if I just wrote this down? I would be able to focus so much more on your lovely cock. Who could say no to that? <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, we're not even doing it right now. And I'm like, yeah, please go write that down. <laughs> come back and double down. And I love that you used that example, right? Just speaking from a personal anecdote. <laughs> and I have, it happens to me when I'm in the car having a conversation. On the way here, it probably happened when I was in the car with my friend Samia. And when it happens during conversation, I will say, oh, wait, I didn't hear that because my brain was on this thing. Can you put a pin in that? And if they can put a pin in it, meaning they're going to remember it in a moment, and I can share my thing, and then we can go back to that, then we do. And if they're like, no, then I'm like, okay, go ahead. And then maybe I just like jot it down, <laughs> a little note to remind me. Because I often have trouble picking up the threads of my own ideas later on in a conversation. So I really, really value all these. I have all these friends with unbelievable memories, autistic level memories, the, the incredible clarity and word perfectness and snapshots that they have of, of these experiences. And I, I call them my external memory banks because I often 
have these blurry memories or not at all. I've completely forgotten. Do you remember, do you remember when they say? And I go, mm, mm, no, I don't. Tell me about it. Tell me about what happened. <laughs> okay, so where does, I guess, where does the concept of intimacy fit into all that we're talking about? So I, I do have an equation for intimacy. I think that, so the first one, the first piece is disclosure. So I'm sharing something of myself with you and you're sharing something of yourself with me. And it goes both ways. To me, if it is just one-sided, it doesn't fit my definition of intimacy. Although many people would argue otherwise. You know, maybe people would argue that the relationship that they have with their therapist is intimacy. Mm. I think that, that's an interesting one because as a therapist... There is a lot of one-sided disclosure, but I try to be a human being. You know, I don't, like, vomit out my stuff to them that I need to work on. But I also find that if I'm that blank slate, you know, old kind of Freudian approach just doesn't really, I think, work because it's the connection that's healing. You know, it's really curious because as I'm about to say this, I'm like, do I believe this? My relationship with my therapist? It, oh, mm. So I was going to say that I think it's very intimate, but that does not mean intimacy. Things can be intimate. Like a doctor putting a speculum inside me is intimate, is an intimate act, but it is not intimacy. Or not the kind that I particularly want. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it's not intimacy. It's simply not. Um, and then I was going to say, oh, the therapist-patient or therapist-client relationship is intimate, but it's not intimacy. And then I was like, do I think that about my therapist and my relationship with my therapist? And no, I absolutely think my relationship with my therapist is intimacy. And it functions that way in my life. Now, she doesn't do that either. She doesn't vomit out her own personal stuff that she's working on. She saves that, I assume, for her therapist and for for her partners and for the people that she engages with in that way. And yet she does disclose things to me about what she cares about, what her values are, what she sees in me. You know, so there is disclosure about herself as well as about me. And so it does fit my, my definition. And you can disclose, of course, without words. It doesn't require, it's not only in a, you know, 12-step kind of scenario where you're sharing a story of trauma or suffering that is disclosure. That is a very easy thing to point to, and that can create the groundwork for a very strong bond. But I can disclose something to you by what I find funny. I can disclose something to you by the way that my body sidles up next to yours, right? We can disclose non-verbally and we do in all different kinds of ways. And you can have an entire conversation in which you learn a lot about somebody with no words at all, of course. And you can have an entire horizontal mambo with no words at all, of course. Although words are very helpful. I suggest that you use your words sometimes. <laughs> and now a quick pause for some discounted resources for you. So in this episode, we talk about intimacy and connection, as well as staying curious about someone to build and maintain desire. 
Sometimes it can feel hard to know how to create more intimacy or what steps to take first. Good thing there are tools to help you. Spice things up with the game Let's Get Deep from the creators of What Do You Meme and get 20% off with promo code SCHOLARS at whatdoyoumeme.com slash let's get deep. For example, let's say you're in for a night with a partner, lover, or friend, and you're tired of having the surface level chats or just relying on Netflix again. Whip out one of the card decks from What Do You Meme's new game called Let's Get Deep. There's always more to learn about yourself or someone else. For example, I'm going to draw a card right now. It says, when were you your happiest ever? Oh gosh, I feel like for me it was college. Um, it was sort of like the last frontier of my youth where I just had to somehow pass my classes and friends were all like just a bike ride away and responsibilities were much less than they are now. And there was just, I felt like everything was ahead of me. But I've been trying not to look to the past for my happiest times ever and trying to be present and look to the future and acknowledge that those times can be awesome too. So this is a work in progress for me. Oh man, it's getting deep already. <laughs> Okay, so if you actually want to spice things up, you might also want to grab the After Dark expansion pack, which is filled with 200 extra spicy cards. And you're in luck because we have an exclusive offer for you listeners. For a limited time, get 20% off with the code SCHOLARS when you go to whatdoyoumeme.com slash let's get deep. That's what do you m e m e what do you meme dot com slash let's get deep and use code SCHOLARS. Again, to get 20% off, go to whatdoyoumeme.com slash let's get deep and use code SCHOLARS. So let's get deep, literally. Okay, so we've got this um, dual sharing. What's the second part of the recipe? The second part is resonance. So when I said earlier that when we're in person, there is a vibrational quality, like I feel something from you, you feel something from me. And then there's, I understand this is a, a term in therapeutic circles, a, a co-regulation of our nervous systems kind of aligning with one another. That is a bit what I mean by resonance. So my late Brazilian aunt, she would say, when she wanted to say that somebody resonated with her, she would say, nos vibramos na mesma sintonia we vibrate on the same note. And so it's like that. As I'm sharing with you, you are not just hearing me from a distance, right? There is something in that that is meaningful to you. And it strikes a chord. And the same going the other way. So there is a vibrational quality to it internally, and an alignment. I'm seeing, I'm really seeing something about you and feeling it as well. Resonance. So disclosure plus resonance. But then I would ask my, my audience, is it intimacy yet? And I think a lot of people would say, yeah, then, it, then it's intimacy. You know, say, you're, say you are in a 12-step room. And you hear somebody share a story and you're really vibing with that. And then afterwards, because no crosstalk, but afterwards you go and you talk to them and you share something and they resonate with that. And then that's intimacy. But for me, there's an 
there's an unstated something in there that was missing. And so I, for a few years, I was thinking, well, what's missing? What's missing in my recipe? And that is what I call permeability. So in order for it to be intimate, you have to allow me to affect you. And I have to allow you to affect me. So if you disclose something, and I understand it, I, I, I understand you, but I don't let it in in some way. I don't let it change me in some way. And it could be... I could be moved to laughter. I could be moved to tears. I could be moved to change my mind about something. And to me, that is incredibly intimate. To have an exchange with someone, to see something and hear something and take in something about them that actually changes your mind is deeply, deeply intimate. So you have to be porous to the other in order for it to be intimacy to me. So I abbreviate this and I call it DRIP, D-R-P, disclosure plus resonance multiplied by permeability. Makes you wet. Yes! <laughs> yes, it does! Well, this is actually a good segue because I, I do feel like I have a lot of clients, let's say partnered clients, who have what seems like intimacy or it, it is intimacy but they don't have the erotic and they don't have the sexy and so there's a um, friendly or familial intimacy because of course we can have intimacy with all kinds of entities right I have yes. non-sexual intimacy with my horse I have yes. intimacy with friends I have intimacy with my rocks maybe <laughs> you could even argue <laughs> whatever it is um, how do we sort of make this connection here between intimacy because it doesn't seem like intimacy is enough to make things hot it's not and often the intimacy of which i speak often removes hotness and makes yes the kind of esther perel mating in captivity approach definitely and i very much vibe with her her philosophy that eroticism requires a bridge that you want to cross or a, a certain kind of distance. And so... Do you want to move to the sun? No. I'm not good with sun. I'm too pale. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the gloves are nice. Yes. So I think about... So when I think about that, the first thing that comes to mind is actually taking things away. And what I mean by that is my friend and mentor in many ways, Kenneth Play, who's kind of so close that he's a, a brother to me. He's dubbed the world's greatest sex hacker. And I always say it in a funny voice and with quotes around it, but I really believe that. He is, um, he is a miraculous educator and his work is deeply, deeply needed. And he says, okay, so if somebody's worried about not getting an erection, then make the game you can't get an erection. Don't get hard. Don't get hard. Don't get hard, you know? I'm hard. <laughs> right? So you can play with that in kinky ways. And some of the things I would take off the table are going to the bathroom in front of your partner, going to the bathroom with the door open, getting ready in front of your partner, getting 
getting spiffed up, shaving, putting on makeup, even getting dressed. I think there's a reason why that wedding tradition has lasted for so long where you're not supposed to see the bride before the wedding. And bride, okay, but but both of them, both of the people coming into union, I think there's something very special about seeing the person after they've done what, what is essentially ritualistic magic to turn themselves on and juice themselves up. That's what I'm doing when I put makeup on, when I put my my finery on when I put myself together. I am turning myself on and I'm looking at myself in the mirror going, mm, yeah, your breasts look great today. And like, ooh, mm, yes. And I try, you know, try the thing on until I until I hit the right outfit. And then I feel super juiced up. So maybe if if you stop going on dates, you probably stop getting ready separately. And you know what? People are not going to like this, and it's not possible for a lot of people, but I would move somebody out. I would say don't live together. (laughs) Yes, I don't live with my partner. We've been together, my primary partner and I have been together six plus years, and we don't live together. And sometimes it sucks. You know, Mm. sometimes there's times where it's like, oh, I want access, (laughs) right? But access doesn't mean intimacy, where I'm like, I just want you to be here. But is it really quality time? Oh, I can see you're excited about this. <laughs> but removing access creates eroticism and desire. Yes. Yeah. Remove your immediate access to your partner. It's very, very hard for us to maintain a frisson or or a desire or an eroticism about what is right next to us all the fucking time. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think there's a balance here, right? Because if we go full, you know, access removal, then we can get to a place of of so much distance and avoidance where there is no intimacy. So it's a it's a really hard dance to do. Right, right. I would say diminish, right? Diminish access. I'm going to bring this back. Yeah. So I had a restaurateur ex. By the way, he never said that we were together when we were together because I was way too young for him and he was kind of awful. But <laughs> restauranteur X. And one of the things that he said to me was, what do you think is the right amount of dessert? I don't know what I said, but he said, the right amount of dessert is when you want another bite after you're finished. So you don't fill up so much. And Marsha B was was talking with me about this as well. Marsha B, co-founder of Cuddle Party. And her thing is askingforwhatyouwant.com. She was saying you don't you don't get so saturated that you don't want more of that. You don't allow yourself to to fill up so much. You want things to look forward to. And I would also encourage people to recognize that there are probably a million sexual debuts to be had. And they have not had all of them, I can guarantee. <laughs> Even Reed Mahalko has not had all of them. Even Kenneth Play has not had all of them. Even the super sluts of the world have not had all the sexual debuts that there are to have. So I haven't, have you? No, there's so much I haven't done. There's, thank God. <laughs> Oh my God, there's, there's worlds of things I haven't done that I'm excited to align with the right people to explore. 
someday, maybe tomorrow. Who knows, you know? Maybe today. Maybe today. <laughs> mm, who knows? Mm, I've got exciting things planned for later. We'll see. And I might have a lover coming mm, to visit. Anyway, so... Oh, my God. I just got so distracted thinking about my lover that I forgot what I was saying. Can you pick up my thread, Nicoletta? No, because I'm distracted thinking about it, too. <laughs> oh. Sexual debuts. So if you recognize that there are so many sexual debuts to be had and all kinds of permutations that you haven't explored yet, if you can get in touch with your desire for all those different kinds of things, you can get novelty from that, even if you're not getting novelty from the person. And also, the person, should they be interested in fun and games, can play different roles for you, and you can play different roles for them. I think roleplay is a great tool, even if it's ridiculous. I feel like there's plenty of people who think that eroticism and laughter don't go together, and I'm disappointed for them. That's too bad, because the landscape of eroticism is so much broader when you can include play and laughter in it. My entire eroticism is play. <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe not all, 90-10. Because <laughs> um, it is like the adult playground, you know? There's, there's so much to be had, and, and laughter, I think, is essential for any kind. I mean, not laughing at someone. Um, last question before we kind of wrap up. Any tips for tolerating the desire for more? Like I'm thinking of the dessert example, right? Like you could be like, we'll have another <laughs> and saturate yourself um, because it's hard to sometimes tolerate longing, to tolerate desire. Um, any tips for folks in, in tolerating that? And, and I guess knowing when they need to and should ask for more um, as opposed to like, oh, I'm too much. I should not say anything. It, it's a, a hard line. <sighs> I love this topic. Desire moves the world. There is probably <laughs> very little you can think of that wasn't born of some kind of desire, whether it was to impress someone, whether it was to get laid, whether it was to feel potent and powerful and sexy. Desire is a force. And if you don't demonize longing, you can see it as the source of all the great art on the planet. <laughs> and you can see it as the source of a tremendous amount of turn-on and sexual fulfillment. I just got turned on saying that, thinking about it, for yourself. The thing is that delayed gratification is often the hottest. And we know from the, the rat experiment with the intermittent, intermittent drugs, you know, that the intermittent hits, that's why some really unhealthy lover relationships and dynamics are so incredibly hot. Because you're only getting a hit, I don't know, once every five times, once every ten times, once every three times. And it, it's not consistent, right? And the inconsistency breeds eroticism. The longing makes everything hotter. You can think of the longing as romantic or sexual edging, long-term <laughs> edging. And when, when 
it is fulfilled. It is going to be so much greater. The orgasm that I have after I've edged myself three or four times, brought myself almost to the brink of orgasm and then back down and then up again and then back down and then up again but then back down and then up again and then I let myself go. It's like, wow, the explosion is incredible. So if you start to see longing as this kinky game that you are playing with the universe (laughs) and then you look forward to that explosion whenever it happens, that's one way, I think, to, to cope with that. Another way is to see it as the source of creativity and inspiration. What can you make with that longing? What can you make with that desire? Do you write? Do you paint? Do you take erotic videos of yourself and put them on OnlyFans? Do you get dressed up and do self-portraits? Do you write short stories that you share with people on the internet? What are you going to do with that? Do you sing it? Do you have an incredible solo sex session with it? There's so much that you can do with it. You can also do science with it, right? There's, when I say creative, I don't just mean in, the, in what we've come to think of as creative, in the, what we've come to think of as the arts. Science is also an art. Cooking is also an art. You know, you can do so much with your desire. If you have a desire to cook for your lover... Well, that would be really satisfying. You can also prepare the whole damn thing just the way you would for you or for your beloved friend or for your artistic collaborator. You can place that somewhere. That is energy that you can move and it is a force to be reckoned with. So respect it and see where you can send it. I love that. And I love thinking of um, desire being the edging of the universe. (laughs) It's great. Um, Well, I'm going to stop now so I can be left with wanting more of you. (laughs) See what I did there? Okay. How can folks find you, uh, follow what you're doing, listen to your new show, um, all the things? On Instagram, I'm horizontal with Lila because that was the name of my was cast my previous podcast, which is still available in the world and on Patreon. And it was recorded while lying down wearing robes, as you know. <laughs> so Horizontal with Lila is still the moniker horizontalwithlila.com. And then I have this new show for iHeartRadio called Positively Sex, Sex Ed with Pleasure. And it is available in all of the podcast places. Although if you are an Apple podcast person, your reviews really make a difference. <laughs> and I love the love letters that I get there and they really turn me on. So if that is your jam, I would love that. Those are the places you can find me. Don't hesitate to write to me. You can email me, lila at horizontalwithlila.com. I'm always curious about people's personal stories, what people are thinking about when they listen to the episodes. And a few of the emails that I got recently will form the basis for future episodes. So I want, with respect, people to feel free to message me directly.
Yes. And it also turns me on to get um, those five-star reviews. So if you want to follow what I'm doing, again, I'm on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, Twitter at Sluts Scholars. You can listen anywhere you get your podcasts or at slutsandscholars.com. And please turn us both on by leaving us some um, delicious reviews. Thank you so much. Mm.